Welcome to Luxury News Weekly, your number one source for luxury news. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Solaru. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Luxury News Weekly. We have exciting news for you. Let's start with today's top story. Okay, so now this is an interesting one because we've been watching this on our uh, Clubhouse uh, episodes when this took place. Burberry is appointing a new luxury goods expert, uh, Jonathan Ackeroid from Versace as their CEO. So for those who don't know, Burberry lost their CEO during the pandemic. And this was quite a huge deal because he was part of turning around the Burberry image. And they were kind of mid-strategy when he left to join an Italian brand. So Marco uh, Gobetti was his name. And he decided to support an Italian company because he is Italian um, when he left Burberry. And this left them with a huge, huge, huge void. They did a bunch of campaigns to instill confidence with their consumers. And now they finally have a seasoned CEO. This guy has, uh, Jonathan, he has uh, been with Versace for over 10 years. And he has also been in um, Harrods in senior roles. He knows his stuff. Uh, This is exciting to see. What do you think, Elizabeth? I think this is a fantastic hire. I think they've done very, very well to appoint him. Um, I used to be a headhunter, and he would have been what I call an A-star candidate because he definitely has the pedigree. He has um, turnaround experience, which is absolutely crucial. Uh, When he went to Alexander McQueen, um, they were not doing so well. But he, he did turn that around, which was fantastic. Um, he has an amazing reputation. And he also says that he's looking forward to returning to London, where he first built his career in the luxury industry. And um, again, he's saying all the right things. And the fact that he's been appointed will actually be very good news to the shareholders of Burberry. And I believe that the share price actually rose um, very slightly. So again, being a British guy, British uh, brand, I think he is a great, great hire. Yeah, I'd have to agree because we weren't sure they were going to find someone that would uh, kind of instill the confidence they need, right? Uh, They were in a bit of a panic and it was very last minute how their last CEO left. So I wasn't exactly sure that they were going to be recover from this, but it seems they found their footing and Burberry's A for away. Now we'll see though over time because they're mid strategy and uh, they are immediately coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we'll see. China's going to tell a lot from this because all the luxury brands are looking to the Chinese adoption to kind of stabilize their um Stabilize, stabilize their revenue. So uh, we'll take a look at that now. Yeah, um, just to um, jump in a little bit um, with this guy, I think he definitely can do it if he is allowed to. And I also think that to release him from Versace, they had to buy out his contract. I'm sure I read that somewhere. They had to buy um, his con- you know, they had to pay... Um, because obviously to leave um, his previous post, he would have lost out in bonuses and shares. And so they had to pay extra for that. But I think it's definitely worth it. Burberry's, they've turned around um, the company once before, and I'm pretty sure they can do it again. So I'm actually full of confidence. And I hope, you know, I really, really wish Jonathan all the best. Excellent. Yeah, that is very interesting. They would have to buy them out. They're almost like uh, musicians at this stage, right? Where you have to uh, uh, pay for the entire contract. Now, some surprising news in the luxury fashion space as well. Uh, Balenciaga is officially the hottest luxury brand in the world right now. So uh, according to the List Index, that's L-Y-S-T Index, for the third quarter of 2021, Balenciaga comes out on top. 
Uh, this is apparently because of them being on the world headlines continuously. Now, just a little uh, background. Remember how, now we've spoken about this for a, a, a long time, and Balenciaga is always, always, always on the top of conversation uh, in, in our former clubhouse ro- rooms um, because of one scandal or one crazy fashion show or one just very, very uh, out there design or something. They're always there, even their collaboration with Gucci, which was very good. Uh, one way and then the other, you know, the Gucci Balenciaga was good and the Balenciaga Gucci was horrible. <laughs> But they're always in the headlines. So I'm not surprised that because they're spoken about, they are the number one. What do you think? Yeah, um, interesting because they've actually knocked um, Gucci off the top spot um, of the list. But I'm not surprised at all because um, we loved Gucciaga. I remember Gucciaga. You know, Gucci did a really, really great job in challenging um, bits of... um, Balenciaga from what I remember so we did actually like that but we didn't really like it the other way around and to be fair to Balenciaga they kind of remind me of um, Pepsi Coca-Cola situation um, when the battle was really really hot and I remember Pepsi got a bunch of um, pop stars you know every name in the book and they narrowly edged out Coke for a bit and then eventually you know Coke came back So congrats to Balenciaga. I really wish them well. But I do think that Gucci, you know, will definitely be looking to take back their crown. And it's also interesting to see that Dior um, came in at third place. um, And this followed the opening of the new Christian Dior Designer of Dreams exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. And also Prada, Louis Vuitton, they claimed fourth and fifth spots on the list, respectively. So the the list is ever-changing. It's very fluid. I just look forward to Gucci coming back with a vengeance. Okay. Hot take. Hot take. Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I hate this. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) I honestly hate this. Balenciaga, why? Why are you here? Why are you even in this conversation? (laughs) Just just get out. Like, leave the room for Dior and Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Like, good. Yeah, but but remember, though, it's not just about um, design or, you know, it's not just about that. Um, There are other factors that we need to take into consideration. We need to take, um, you know, like sheer audacity. We need to take into consideration different collaborations, you know, how much money was spent to really, really, you know, for them to really push themselves to the top. You know, the criteria, I'm pretty sure, is, um, but, you know, it's um, a quarterly listing and this is only for this quarter. So we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the year. So, you know, I have every confidence. And also, I'm pretty sure that Gucci are not exactly quaking in their boots anyway. And I'm sure Gucci has a lot up their sleeve. So let's watch this space. Exactly. Now, the thing is, they say in this index, which is going to be very important because I think we're going to watch this index and uh, keep up to date with this particular index. It seems to be an important one, but they include Google searches, uh, social media mentions and engagement statistics over this quarter. So a three month period. Now, this can easily be skewed by like what I'm saying here. Um good news and bad news. And Balenciaga has purposefully, purposefully created controversy with their designs and their products. Um, I remember the um, the necklace, which was like an old phone line, a home phone line. Oh right? my God, that was dreadful. We hated that. Yes, oh but it went viral. God. It went viral. So this is skewing numbers. It, they're, they're making it seem like this index shows the best uh, and most bought brands. But also, let's remember, a big contribution to this is Kanye West releasing Donda and the entire um, 
Balenciaga campaign he did for Donda. He was wearing full Balenciaga. And Kim Kardashian was wearing full Balenciaga. So this really skewed third quarter. I do not think they're going to be um, very, uh, you know, top three for the fourth uh, quarter and early next year. It has it'll probably go down. But they did a really good job. I will give them this. They did a really good job at staying in front of the news. Good for good or bad, for better or for worse. Exactly. I mean, think about it. You know, when it comes to engagement, and this is what people don't understand, there is no such thing as good engagement or bad engagement. This is just engagement at the end of the day. So controversy sells. And remember, we um, the whistleblower that spoke about the, you know, that spoke about the Facebook leak, she said that the number one emotion that drives engagement is anger. So when, when um, these brands do really outrageous things that people hate, what do they do? They take to social media to complain about it, to make videos about it. So it, it then breeds an industry by itself. So as far as I'm concerned, if you hate something, as, do not take to social media to complain about it. Just simply ignore <laughs> it. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Do not give it any sort of engagement. But people, you know, our emotions get the better of us and we want to vent. And, the, you know, and it seems now that people think the best place to vent is social media. No, it is not. So even right now, we are talking about Balenciaga giving them further engagement. When this is so true. Them. Yeah, <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's ignore them and move on, I guess. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are interrupting your episode to introduce ourselves. Who are the people behind Luxury News Weekly? Well, my name is Simba Wakatama, and in my spare time, I am the CEO of Volo Bespoke. We personalize your jewelry storage solutions. That's right, folks. We make luxury jewelry storage that is not only beautiful, but works perfectly to integrate into your daily ritual. Hi there, I'm your host Elizabeth Solaru and I'm based in London, England. I run two luxury companies. The first one is a luxury cake company, one of the best in the world. And the other is the Luxury Business Emporium. And I work with businesses who want to enter into the luxury space. I help with branding, coaching and mentoring. <laughs> All right. Now, this is uh, more towards the tech space, but still within the realm of luxury. So I don't know if you heard, but Sotheby's has opened um, a metaverse website where they'll be selling exclusively um, digital assets like NFTs and, and the like. Have you heard about this? Um, I saw something very briefly on Twitter. And the first thing that occurred to me was, oh, my God, Sotheby's are being so smart because they remember many, many months ago, we spoke about their involvement in this space um, because they were one of the first major auction houses to get into NFTs. And I think, didn't they, I think a Banksy was their first NFT, right? Am I correct? I'm, I don't remember, but I would. I remember them being the first, and I was just very surprised because they control them and Christie's control the art market in general. So, it, if they're doing it, they they are kind of giving a huge uh, bout of confidence, shall I say, to the entire NFT industry when it comes to the really big spenders. Oh, absolutely, and they've always managed to attract the celebrities, the big names. Um, so, and it makes sense anyway, digital art is still art, still as valuable as physical art. And with a massive, massive move to the metaverse that we've seen from these art houses, we've seen it from many luxury brands. Why not? You know, it takes so much energy, materials, power, shop space, etc., to make physical products. 
why not um, create digital products instead? So, yes, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. And huge congrats to Sotheby's. Indeed. Now, the startup, okay, that is actually powering this website, they just raised $20 million in funding at a valuation of $100 million. So the startup is called Mojito. And uh, they essentially create, uh, they, they create the metaverses in which these companies can then actually host um, their NFT sales or, or the digital asset sales. Um, so it seems that um, they are getting that huge confidence from Sotheby's, of course, and uh, raising capital to do more of this. If this becomes uh, more of the norm, we can expect a you know Shopify style uh, or, or you know web uh, what's that Webflow um, and Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace is a big one too. Wix, you know, but we can expect that kind of style company, um, but for NFTs where uh, you know they make it really easy um, to sell your NFTs now. The real lack in this sector that I'm seeing right now is like you can imagine what art was like in the in the beginning where, you know, the museum and the art gallery were made to specifically uh, unify that universe of art and tell that story. With NFTs, there isn't that yet. And I would like to see something that then allows you to, you know, share uh, more easily or what you own. And I think that's when, you know, that's when we're really talking metaverse, right? Where it's a universe, uh, not not right now, where it's just like um, meta objects. <laughs> yeah, know? I think um, that's coming. I think, you know, remember, um, Sotheby's sold their first NFT in April. And um, up till a couple of years ago, NFTs were probably like a million, couple of million in sales a year. Now, you know, edging more than 100 million, 200 million, et cetera. So it's, you know, more than doubled, quadrupled, et cetera. Um, I think that what would happen is there's got to be some sort of um, regulation, number one, um, that would come in, some sort of law will come in. And then also there will be some sort of body um, that would maybe evaluate, um, the, you know, art, et cetera, et cetera. But right now it's like the wild, wild west, um, you've got two or three, maybe three, four, five major online um, places where you can actually acquire NFTs. Um, the first one is OpenSea. OpenSea is open for everybody. Literally, you can go and open an account and start selling your NFT tomorrow. Um, it's that, um, is that easy to do. But um, obviously, Sotheby's, they use um, another platform. Oh, I can't remember the name now. But they use another platform that's, a, you know, a bit more exclusive. There's a selection criteria. And um, a lot of um, pop stars, celebrities, etc. they prefer that platform. So my point is, it's all coming. However, right now, there are people who are making a mint by just taking advantage of the fact that it's still new. That's true. And there's a lot of money laundering as well, uh, using NFTs, um, which I was, uh, I mean, I kind of had an inkling people would do that, but I didn't realize how easy it is to do till uh, very recently. And to not get into it, but just to give you how, just to give uh, the audience how, it's, uh, how they do it is, essentially, when you make money off of crypto, you owe capital gains taxes, right? Um, if, you, if you collect on that, if you cash out on that money. So what you do is, um, you will cash out your money uh, and then you will purchase uh, an NFT, right? And you purchase that NFT for yeah. uh, a lot of money, the, the most you can. Basically, you'll try to use all your profits to purchase that NFT. And then you'll create a separate crypto account, which is a private crypto account. And then you'll sell your NFT to yourself for less then you bought it for. So if you bought it for 100 grand, sell it to yourself for 50 grand. And now you've got a capital gains loss of 50 grand. So you uh, 
don't owe that in taxes anymore because capital gains accounts for your losses and your gains. But the NFT is still growing in value because you know you can always sell it to someone else. And so that's exactly what you do. You sell it to someone else down the line on your private account and uh, you know cash in with that money. People have been doing this with art, but it was way harder to do. So you can't really... Uh, only only the wealthiest companies and people in the world can do it. But with NFTs, uh, really anyone can do it. <laughs> that, I mean, it goes, just goes to show that, you know, decentra- decentralization is really working. And yes. just in case anyone's listening, I have an NFT. <laughs> it's for sale. It's a million dollars. So if anybody wants to buy it, <laughs> yes, <laughs> do hit me up and um with my NFT, you get a physical product as well. So, yeah, uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. A hundred percent. And where can people find this NFT? Ah, my NFT is on OpenSea. It's on OpenSea. It's um, uh, a cake NFT, and it's essentially um, a huge, huge cake, a seven, eight-tier cake. And you will actually get a physical cake. I'll fly to anywhere in the world recreate the cake uh, for you so you get a digital version as well as a physical version and it's actually ideal for anyone who's um throwing a you know maybe a million dollar wedding or something you know it's a cool thing to have so just you know hit me up um you know you can find us at the end of this program uh, you know you'll find us we'll leave our details and hit me up and yes absolutely Awesome. Awesome. So now we have probably one of the longest cruises you could ever take in your life. Um, This is a cruise around the world. We're talking seven continents in 274 days. That's correct. Royal Caribbean is introducing the ultimate world cruise over 150 destinations. Okay. In 65 countries starting in 2023 this is just ridiculous if you have a year that you need to fill with something this is for you okay this cruise will take you to some very popular destinations including casablanca in morocco or kwakwatok in greenland or shimizu japan now I don't know who this is for, but I'm assuming it's for retirees because who has a year to cruise? (laughs) What do you think? Actually, um, I know that a lot of people tend to think that cruises are for older people, which they are. However, think about it. If you can work from anywhere in the world, if you have a, um, a job or a business that you can run from anywhere in the world, and you have the money, I'm actually thinking of an idea that I, I, I'm sure I saw this on a program once where um, a lady fairly young, she took some of her money and rather than pay rent and bills, et cetera, et cetera, she took her, the money that she would have paid for rent, et cetera, she took it and went on a cruise and she didn't have to pay you know, for bills, she didn't have to commute, and she literally just worked um, while she was on a cruise. So she was working, having the time of her life. She didn't worry, have to worry about food. Um, she had a, an amazing social life, and she kind of did that as a social experiment. So I'm kind of thinking for people who are into their travel, so for your travel bloggers, for example, um, for people who absolutely run, I don't know, online companies, et cetera, et cetera. This could actually be ideal. But I do get that the target market is probably really rich retirees who just want to travel, who want to see the world, who maybe worked all their lives and haven't been able to do it. This is a fantastic way to do it. My only worry, and again, I'm speaking here as an ex-microbiologist, is with cruises, um, once you have, you know, things like COVID or the norovirus, you know, there are things that I think about when I think about cruises, because if one person gets it, you all get it. (laughs) So that would be my only worry. Although, you know, of course it can happen anywhere, but 
I'm kind of thinking, you know, a, um, a, a boat that big, that huge. Hmm. However, I can't think of, you know, a, a nicer way to see all seven continents. And to be fair, the Royal um, Caribbean um, International, they've been running for more than 50 years. So by now, they probably know what they're doing. And I'm pretty sure that they will pull out all the stops to make this the jewel in their crown. Oh, yeah. They are a really good uh, cruise line, actually. And they do cater more so to retirees. Um, But that's kind of the nature of the cruise industry. And of course, like you said, some people actually own timeshares in these cruises, so on these cruise ships. So they actually own the suites they're staying in and they live there. Now, this will start at $124,000 per person. And you can actually reserve um, your cruise for 2023 uh, by phone. That alone tells you that this is catered towards the older generation. Because who's booking reservations by phone? <laughs> but you never know. All our, all our recent crypto millionaires and the NFT millionaires, um, they might, you know, um, book. And I know, you know, but then when you think about booking by phone, you know, you can do it via Apple Pay. Yeah. From your phone, you know. So don't look down on booking by phone. <laughs> don't look because you never know. You can you book never through know. Apple. You never know. You can book through Apple Watch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And talking about the fee, one hundred twenty-four thousand um, dollars, or was it pounds or dollars? It's dollars. Yeah, dollars. American. Be, I actually thought it was going to be a lot more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. Because if you, because usually, I mean, I could be wrong. A luxury cruise that lasts, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something, doesn't that run into about 10 grand? Yes, yes, it does. So if that so if we think about it, you know, and if you're going to be spending 274 days, it's a um, lot. That is a lot of days. So for 124,000, that is, you know, when you look at, you know, when you break it down, it's actually not bad. Um, no. Although, you know, obviously it's enough money to buy. A house, but yes, but it's only a couple hundred a day. It's like three hundred a day or something like that. It's not that much um, as far as vacations go, because you're spending. Imagine, and you go on vacation, you're spending hundreds, if not thousands, every day because it's a short time. So this actually becomes a, a lot more economical on a cost per day basis. Absolutely. And that's, you know, so I was a bit surprised. Um, I, it wasn't more expensive, but I suppose it could start at that. But by the time mm-hmm. you add the extras, you know, dinner, oh, yeah. with, a, dinner with a captain, you know, um, fancy dresses, activities, excursions, um, this and that and the other, you could easily double that amount, I suppose. And let's not forget the, the tips that you're going to have to be doing for the entire year. Exactly, because <laughs> you, you do have to tip the crew really, really well. Yes. So, yeah, so w- when you add everything, you could easily double. Um, and if Royal Caribbean are listening, I'm happy to test drive. <laughs> I'm happy to oh, review. We'll have to. We will have <laughs> to do it. It's in their best interest that we do it before they get bad reviews or something. We will figure it out. We'll get to the bottom of it. Oh, absolutely. So, yes, we're open to sponsorship. Yes, certainly. (laughs) Now, speaking of cruises, cruises are known for their food and, of course, the free-flowing alcohol. But the food. uh, Now, you're not going to have luxury food without truffles. And it turns out we are running out of truffles right now. We have a shortage of white truffles. And that's putting the price up to $4,500 a pound. Sheesh. All right. Now, I'm not a humongous truffle fan. Um, I, uh, you know, don't mind the taste. I'm not particularly inclined to it or against it. It's just, you know, if it's there, I'll eat it. Um, but truffle, fanat- uh, truffle fans are diehard fans, and they will pay whatever it takes to get a good truffle. Do you like truffles, Elizabeth? Um, it really depends. If it's overdone, it makes me queasy. Um, it really, mm-hmm. really makes me queasy. 
Um, but I do like truffle shavings and I do like proper truffles because sometimes you have the fake horrible truffle oil, which is, oh, you know, yeah. you, you can tell it's, uh, you know, you can tell it's not the, the real stuff. So that really, really makes me queasy. But truffle shavings, um, lightly done, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I'm not surprised there's a shortage at all. I'm not at all surprised because uh, we had been warned about this actually a few years ago um, by, um, by the truffle farms um, because it is a natural ingredient. And because um, I remember, I, I remember many, many years ago, they used to use pigs. And then I don't know if they still use pigs. I think they tried using um, sniffer dogs at one point. So I'm not surprised at all that there is a shortage. However, this is an opportunity um, maybe to grow um, truffles artificially. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm so surprised they don't, um, they don't grow uh, truffles. Maybe they do, but I wouldn't know about it because it, it, it's a fungus certainly they can grow it in a lab or a controlled environment and mass produce it. Now, I can understand if wild truffles end up being more expensive, but I don't really see why. Um, and this is with my limited research that they don't just grow this stuff. You know, we grow every other kind of mushroom in a lab or in a, in a, in a farm style. Uh, because we know that's kind of the only way we're going to get enough. I don't know what it is. Does it just take a long time to grow? Like, I don't understand. Well, the thing is, though, you know that truffles are very native to Italy. So um, mm. they grow in the forests of Italy and in the Balkan um, Peninsula. And it's actually been recently, very, very recently, that, um, and this was a global first, um, that they've managed to actually grow... Um, the gourmet um, um, uh, uh, truffle outside their natural habitat. So I am pretty sure um, that, um, you know, and apparently they grew them in, um, uh, in America, uh, regions of Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. So the temperature has got to be quite temperate, you know, the temperate regions. So, mm. yeah, so I'm pretty sure people are researching and finding ways to grow um, truffles as we speak. But like you said, there is something about wild, um, you know, natural wild truffle. And also we need to think of something else. Just like um, champagne was registered um, so that you can only get champagne from um, a region in France called Rems. Yes. And I'm pretty sure maybe they have a mark um, for truffles as well. We need to find that out. So if that's the case, even if you grow truffles outside of those regions in Italy and the Balkans, you might not be able to call it truffle. Yes. And it's this is going to be either, like you said, like the... Um, uh, sparkling wine wars, which is again champagne versus everyone else, or the cheese wars, where you have like uh, uh, Parmesan. Uh, you can't just call it Parmesan if it's not from a particular place. You have to spell it differently or or mention that. Um, and the truffle war would be even maybe like the diamond war right now, lab grown versus natural diamonds. Um, if people can actually mass produce these truffles, that'll severely impact um, the price. Now, it'll either make the price of wild truffles go up because now it's even more special um, or it'll just plummet the price. Exactly. But I think, um, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere that definitely for black um, truffles, um, there are um, orchards actually um, that um, grow black um, truffles. Um, and apparently two um, scientists, two French scientists um, turned um, entrepreneurs, they found a way to grow um, truffles 
so yeah so we'll do a bit more research and you know and um, look into that but I'm pretty sure that we will definitely have that situation that you just described yes now we have seen a lot of luxury brands bring on new talent in the form of ambassadors today we see Dior introducing Emma Raducanu now she's a tennis player kind of overnight rising to the top, right? And um, she actually uh, went to the fourth round at Wimbledon this summer, and um, she actually uh, had a really good performance at the U.S. Open and took home the top trophy in a record-breaking win. So now, after working with a couple of companies, including Tiffany & Co., she has actually become the new uh, face of Dior. Now, I don't think she's um, she's the main face of Dior, but that's certainly a huge accolade, especially in the world of sports. Dior has really been embracing musicians and sports uh, people, but usually they used to just um, you know um, rep- represent. Uh, uh, celebrities, right, in in the movie world. So this is an interesting change of pace. Yeah, I like um, Emma. I think this is the thing with um, Dior. They know how to choose the best Gen Zs um, as their ambassadors. So they really go for um, really, you know, sort of like, oh, I, for, for lack of a better word, really classy, um, you know, obviously beautiful role models who have um, a history of achievement behind them. With Emma, she became an overnight sensation here in the UK. Very, very proud of her. Um, Everybody now wants a piece of her. But what I remember her for was that she went through um, a situation where she had to withdraw from a game due to mental health reasons. And I remember that... Um, a footballer called Marcus Rashford. Um, he's a you know very promising, you know really lovely young man. He reached out to her, so she withdrew, and there was a horrible, horrible, and I'm not going to mention his name. Horrible reporter that called her woke and weak and da 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 da. And then she went away, got her head together, went to the U.S. Open, and did really, really well. So obviously she's now the darling of everyone in the U.K. right now. But I love the fact that she's only 18. She's literally just done her A-levels. She is taking everything in her stride. You know, beautiful young lady with a sensible head on her shoulders. And I love the collaboration with Dior because Dior, um, again, a brand that really, really looks after, they really look after their, their brand ambassadors. So, you know, very happy for her. And um, yeah, looking forward to whatever she chooses to do in the future. Yes, actually, that sounds very similar to uh, Naomi Osaka and what she went through as well. Um, you know, these these tennis players are very much celebrities. And we all know, I, I think like a lot of sports, um, unlike a lot of sports, actually, you can't hide behind a team. You can't hide behind a coach. You can't hide behind uh, a league. You are the star. You are the team. You are the, you know, everything. And so uh, I think we're seeing with a lot of Gen Z in the tennis world that they are being more open because of social media and people aren't used to that, right? Especially in the world of sports. And you say, well, how can you mix uh, kind of these very private matters with sports? But the the thing is, um, you know, other teams can rely on each other, other players, etc. If you're a tennis player, you play by yourself. You know, um, you are the team. So it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, role they find themselves in. Oh, absolutely. And um, I, for one, I'm very happy that Gen Zs and, you know, hopefully alphas coming after them are being very open about men- their mental health struggles Um, Because sometimes they need to let people know that not everything that glitters is gold. Um, And sport is 
it's it's about physical um you know it's it's physical however it's just as much about mental preparation as well and being mentally fit and i'm very very happy that the you know people are now speaking about out about mental health issues being very open um, people talking more about it and people being willing not to sacrifice their mental health for a trophy. Yes, this is true. Now, speaking of trophies, <laughs> if you have a couple of million dollars to spare, you might be the lucky owner of a California license plate reading the two letters MM. Now, this license plate... Um, is currently up for sale for 24.3 million US dollars. And uh, you also get an NFT, which matches. That's great. <laughs> okay. <sighs> What's your take on this? Well, I, I'm, I'm not into um, number plates, but I know... A couple of people that are, and I mean, I know some. I know someone who who spent um, six figures on a on a on you know on a on a license plate um, because I don't know his initials plus the 007 or whatever. Um, So for people who are into it and who are collectors, they might think it's worth um, the price tag. I don't know who's auctioning it. Um, is it going to be an auction or something? Is it? Is it? Aha! Uh-huh. Apparently, um, the MM license plate is currently available for purchase on OpenSea. So re- remember, I spoke about OpenSea yes. being, being one of the platforms for NFTs, and it's on sale for five thousand eight hundred and eighty-eight ether which is the equivalent of 24.3 million. So you're not just buying the plate, we're buying an NFT, yada, yada, yada. Now, this is the thing. When I saw MM, I thought of Meghan Markle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of Meghan Markle. And I thought, imagine, you know, if you're, you know, a super fan of hers, actually buying her that license plate. And she lives in California, doesn't she? So imagine the British press will go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They will go mad, you know, if somebody actually bought that for her. But that's a different subject. Um, So, yeah, when I saw MM, I thought, oh, my God, you know, maybe it's a sign. But for me, I don't know why people spend that much money on a license plate. But for people who are into it, it means a lot to them. What do you think? Well, it really does. Um, I think this is a bit bogus. Um, but I know in, in Dubai, for instance, right? And this kind of goes for the UAE in general. But in Dubai in particular, the number of your license plates literally um, is your social ranking. So the number one is always reserved for royalty, and then it ascends from there. And there'll be letters associated and numbers. So it might be like A and then one, two. I don't know how high it really goes. And then B, C, D. So depending if you're, you know, A1, that type of thing, um, that's reserved for the, you know, crown king um, and etc. Now, that's uh, <laughs> the, the most expensive uh, uh, belongs to a Abu Dhabi, uh, I'm assuming a sheikh, uh, and that would be the number one for 14.3 million in 2009, right? Um, wow. But they actually have laws. They have laws protecting the top license plates. And it actually is kind of smart because when you see very high-ranking license plates, um, on the road, you know to give them way. The police know not to stop them, et cetera, et cetera, right? So um, it, it is quite an interesting social system. Now, take it back to California. <sighs> Who cares? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It's I don't get it. Ah, uh, well, um... You know what, though? Um, good luck to them. Um, 
it's their money. If they choose to spend it that way, then, you know, good luck to them. But yeah. Yeah. Good luck. It's an absorbent amount of money. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> well, license plate. And then I love how they just justify it with an NFT as well. So someone could easily buy it. And like we mentioned before, launder money doing it. Right. So that license plate is $24 million, but it really is um, saving them $24 million if you think about it that way. True. That's true. That is true. That is true. Yes. Now, speaking of feats of design, we have an upside down skyscraper that's supposed to be built in Manhattan by Sir David Ajay. Ajay? Is it Ajay? Um, yeah, Ajay. I think he's Ghanaian from what I remember. I think he's British and I think he's um, Ghanaian from what I remember. Um, I remember that um, in the UK, um, he's known for, I mean, he first came to prominence when he designed a bus stop, actually. It was a bus stop. but it, really? it, it, Yeah, really. Um, he designed a bus stop, um, I think, in Stratford, um, which is the East End part of London. And it was such a stunning, I remember it being so stunning. And this was many, many, many years ago. And um, as a person of colour, um, it was just so, it was just beautifully designed and executed. And um, since then, he just sort of like came into prominence and he's done other um, designs. So I'm not surprised at all that he's um, conceived of an upside down tower. Um, and, it, it, you know, it looks pretty cool to me. So what do you think? Well, I'm I'm looking up uh, his previous work and, Apparently, he's, he's famous for his kind of rule-breaking style. I see a lot of African influence on the designs and Arab influence, too, actually, if, you, if, uh, if I'm to be completely honest here. But he's, I love his work. These are very interesting buildings, very interesting concepts. Like, um, you know, I don't necessarily... Uh, follow architecture that closely, although I have a couple of architects that I really enjoy uh, following their life and their work. I'm more interested in the design process, of course, being a, a, a product designer myself. But this is amazing. This guy is really cool. Now, this building is literally an upside-down condominium. It is crazy. Uh, and it's a skyscraper. I bet engineers hate him. <laughs> hate his guts. <laughs> I can just see civil engineers, like, every time he gets praised, they get PTSD, you know, <laughs> from having to build these crazy concepts. This is, take a skyscraper and an interesting one in that, and then put it upside down. It's so amazing. I love it. This is what I want to see. Now, we are in the future now. We need to switch it up a bit, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, we're talking 2021 now, so why not? Um, and, of course, um, it would be nice to, to know he, if he considers things like sustainability, maybe using sustainable materials, um, how the workers are treated, et cetera, et cetera you know, things like solar panels and um, because there are, there have been buildings, um, skyscrapers built um, and their reflection has actually melted cars, et cetera, et cetera. So things like that need to be considered, you know, impact on the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So not just the concept, but there are other things as well um, that will need to be considered. So, yeah, um, I do like... Um, the name of um, the building is called the Affirmation Tower. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, you know, will there be affirmations written all over the building? You know, would um, when you walk into the building, maybe somebody will be reciting affirmations at you. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> 2 a.m. You're walking in from a night out and someone's like, you're the best. You can do exactly. This. <laughs> so, you know, but who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I love the idea. It's very exciting. Nice concept. But let's see how we um, how we go from there. 
Yes, and I, I'm very curious of what the interior is going to look like because his previous work has beautiful, beautiful interiors and the experience of uh, his previous works extend from the inside. Looking out, you also get an interesting um, perspective. So this thing towers 106, uh, sorry, 1,633 feet. Very, very tall building. All right, so... Interesting, interesting. Now, to wrap it up for this week, we have a NFT surprise. I, there's a lot of NFT news in in, uh, <laughs> in recent, uh, uh, you know, uh, so in the in the luxury space. So don't be surprised. This is not going to stop happening, right? Um, so we have a visual artist. They've been using an algorithm to make mil- multi-million dollar NFTs. So Tyler Hobbs is. Uh, partnering with Bright Moments for this NFT minting experience. And for those who are not familiar with what uh, minting is, minting is basically the creation of NFTs. So you can think of it like the exhibit where an artist would um, finally release their artwork for sale. Um, That's essentially what minting um, is in that respect. So how much will this thing cost? Well, I don't know, but uh, Hobbs lost uh, the tulip uh, was the name of the art, uh, artwork. Sold for three point three million dollars. Whoa! Uh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of how um, uh, you, if you want to be a musician and you perform, right? You yeah. get paid for your performance. But then when CDs, you know, records and CDs were popular, someone buys your performance for a fraction of the cost and you don't even have to be there, right? So it adds up to a lot more money. And uh, this is what we're seeing with art now. Um, These NFTs are artificially, um, they're artificially rare. So you can make multiple and you can just mint this money without necessarily having to make uh, more piece, uh, sorry, more unique pieces, right? Oh, so, oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of NFTs, though, because each NFT is meant to be unique anyway. So it's one of a kind. And then you can actually make it even more rarer by building into your, um, the, by building into the blockchain, because, you know, NFTs are held on the blockchain. Yes. So you, so you then design a, what we call a smart contract, And sometimes when you design that contract, only someone who actually pays for the NFT is able to unlock that part of the contract. So in that contract, you can actually hide some surprises. So with me, as part of my contract, um, I actually put some things into the contract for my cake NFT as well. So yes, you're getting a cake where you're getting this and you're getting that and you're getting that. So there's that side of things as well. But what I find interesting um, with um, uh, Tyler is that um, his event is going to take place in two stages. So the first stage, um, attendees will buy a golden token. So it's like a Willy Wonka and the you know golden ticket. So these golden tokens will be distributed um, via a Dutch auction in which the price of an item it reduces until it is bought, right? So you know that the Dutch um, auction is like what happens in the flower market, right? Because in the flower market, you start bidding for flowers at a very, very high price. And because flowers deteriorate, um, the prices of flowers will drop as, Mm. you know, it drops over time because obviously flowers are dying. So, however... If um, it's around, say, Valentine's Day or something like that, some people will go in at very high price anyway. They don't even bother waiting because they know they can um, sell. They will always sell the flowers around Valentine, etc. So he's doing the golden ticket thing. He's doing the Dutch um, auction thing. And then he's also choosing to limit the mintings. Um, he's only going to focus on, on 100 mints. Um, so he can go deep into the work, into the work, and make them as unique and well crafted as possible. So it's basically a lot of, you know, a lot of words for saying, "I'm only making a hundred limited pieces. Get them now." 
you know, before they run out kind of thing. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, the thing is, um, <laughs> so I know a thing or two on the technical side. Uh, when people say algorithms and whatnot, it can either be a very complex process or a very simple process. So when this artist is using, um, in this particular artwork, algorithms to create the art, this, <laughs> we, this person could be spending 10 minutes, okay? Exactly. <laughs> 10 minutes to make a couple million dollars. Now, of course, with art, it's not necessarily how long it takes you to, for you to make it. It's a, a lot of the concept behind it and whatnot. But there's no real... Um, you can always make... With NFTs, you can always make the concept after you made the thing. You, you get what I'm saying? Of course. Like you, you can give it meaning afterwards. Like, for instance, with the last work, um, The Tulip... Um, of course, the algorithm will spit out even millions of different variations, right? And you'll pick. Now, this one looks like a tulip. So, of course, you can easily create the concepts and say, no, well, this is the tulip, right? After the fact. So, I am not yet confident in the space as far as a pure art perspective. Um, sorry, fine art perspective. But I really, really love the creativity that's coming out of this space and the rule breaking that's coming out of this space. Exactly. I think for me, I also love the business opportunity because if you think about it, anyone can create an NFT. Yes. And anyone can sell an NFT. And it doesn't have to be a physical product, it's all digital. So that means the post and, and you know, an NFT can be anything a piece of writing, an email, um, a note that somebody sent you, your old report card. An NFT can be anything. The most important thing about NFT is the market. Is there a market for what you've created? And is somebody going to buy what you've created? That is it. So yes, um, for me, I love the rule breaking. I love the opportunity. And I love the business behind NFTs. Absolutely. Now, that brings us to the end of our program. Let me give a quick summary of what we've spoken about today. And for next time, you can find us on every major platform that podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Search Simba Wakatama on Instagram. Easy to find. And for Elizabeth, search? Search Elizabeth Solaru or Elizabeth's Cake Emporium, or the Luxury Business Emporium. Of course, and we will definitely leave all that information in the show notes. These have been your stories for this week. First, Burberry appoints a new CEO, the former CEO of Versace. Then we had uh, the Sotheby's Metaverse has uh, been powered by a company that creates digital experiences for these platforms called Mojito. They just raised $20 million. And Balenciaga has shown up as the top brand for the third quarter on the list index, meaning they have been the most talked about digital brand. Now, after that, we have the Royal Caribbean uh, cruise ship, which is going to take you to seven continents in 274 days so if you've got a year to cruise around this is it it's going to cost you around a hundred and twenty four thousand dollars or more then we have a white truffle shortage so these uh truffles are going for around four thousand five hundred dollars a pound good luck finding those next emma uh, Raducanu has become the new Dior ambassador. She is a trailblazing tennis player, quite new to the scene. We uh, wish her the best. Also, for $24 million, you can get the MM California license plate and, of course, an NFT to match. Also, 
we have an upside down skyscraper by architect David Ajaye. And this is really crazy. It is literally a upside down condominium. Quite crazy. It is called the Affirmation Tower. And we also have the last thing we spoke about, which is the NFT that uses algorithms. Uh, by Taylor Hobbs. This is uh, quite interesting. The last uh, tulip uh, was the name of it, sold for 3.3 million by the same artist. So this one is expected to sell for somewhere around that price or more. And these have been your top stories for this week. Fantastic. I am so glad that we were able to bring you the stories for this week. Tune in again next week for more luxury news weekly thank you and goodbye